Hello, my praying people. I hope that you are enjoying the weather that we are enjoying here in Tennessee in October. I, it's quickly becoming my favorite time of the year. I tell you what, these beautiful cool days, the blue skies, the gradual turning of the leaves, it just doesn't get much better than this, honestly. Now, I know some people who love summer will contend with me because they love, you know, the break in school and the vacation um, atmosphere that we share and all of those things. And I do love summer, but there is just something <clears throat> really special about the humidity going out of the air, the coolness coming in, the days getting a little shorter, the changing of the season. I genuinely love it. So as a part of this changing of the seasons in the prayer clinic podcast, I decided that for the month of October, we're going to talk about the upcoming holiday, and that's the holiday that comes right at the very end of October, right before the month of November, and it's the big candy holiday, Halloween. My grandchildren already are excited about that night of going out and trick-or-treating and just the, the festivities of all of it, and I thought it might be a good idea as those of us who are Christ followers to really think about Halloween and to think about the celebration of Halloween, maybe to discover the origins of Halloween, and that's what I'm about to talk about right now, the origins of Halloween. Um, so kick back, relax. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please do share it with other people you know, especially share it with um, friends that are rearing their children in their homes right now. And let's be Christ followers who are educated and who understand how, um, what the origins of our holidays are and maybe what goes on at this time of year and how we can best respond to that. I hope you enjoy this podcast. So it's October, and I just mentioned it before that it is my favorite time of the year. The temperatures are cooling, and the mums and the leaves just begin to warm up our days with their golden oranges, their warm reds, and their cozy browns. Thousands of people head outdoors to soak in the waning warmth of the day as they ward off the chill in the evening with campfires. It's a season of s'mores and hot cocoa and apple cider and pumpkin spice. And of course, October also ushers us closer to the second most financially successful holiday of the year, that being Halloween. Whoa, wait, did you hear what I just said? The second most financially successful holiday of the year. But before you get overly excited about that, I discovered that as far as American spending goes, Christmas takes 75% of the pie, followed by the Super Bowl, which is not even a holiday, and then the back to school season, which also is not a holiday. And then comes Halloween. So it's not even a close second, but it is nonetheless the second holiday outpacing Valentine's Day and Easter. Nevertheless, lots of money is spent on candy at Halloween. And my granddaughters absolutely love this holiday. There's just something really fun about dressing up in costumes and parading through the neighborhoods collecting candy at everybody's door. And as far as neighborhood parties go, Halloween has become the Super Bowl of block parties. I don't know about your community, but the neighborhoods in our community, they go all out. The parents and the kids alike dress up, and they both trick-or-treat, and many homes have adult-only beverage stations and party food spreads that are specifically for the oversized and overaged trick-or-treaters. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not sure there's anything else that can even begin to compare to the community building experience that can happen at Halloween. And I have to confess that we wholeheartedly participate in the fun. But as Christ followers in an ever increasingly post-Christian world, we can't just paint our faces and don our costumes without asking, should I even be celebrating this holiday? I'll let you come to your own conclusions as you listen to these podcasts. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm going to wait until the end of all of the episodes. I think I might do three. I'm waiting to see to share how we're going to do that this year. But in this particular episode, I want to dive into the origins of Halloween. The origin of our modern day Halloween is found in Ireland, dated from before the 6th century. The Irish people who were Celtic celebrated the end of the harvest with roaring community bonfires. This particular evening signified the end of the summer and the beginning of the winter. They called their holiday Samhain, Sa for summer and win for the end. So really, literally, it meant summer's end. But more than simply a turn of the season and celebration for the harvest, the festival was filled with uncertainty and anxiety, fear of what winter might bring. The turning of summer to the winter signified really the end of the light and the beginning of the darkness. So think about it. In that day and time, if the flu came along like it has already come along in my particular neck of the woods, if your family had the flu and you had five children, it was very possible that you'd come out on the other side of that influenza outbreak with only two or three of your five children remaining. There were many other childhood illnesses that would wipe out communities. And there were probably at the time that these festivals were being celebrated, not a single person gathered around those bonfires that did not come up close and personal to untimely death. And so the fear of the unknown, the uncertainty of death, the absolute certainty that everybody's going to meet a day of death, was what permeated the atmosphere. And in this way, then, the festival took on a religious or a spiritual dimension where the people celebrating believed that the barriers between the physical world and the spiritual world broke down during during Samhain, allowing interaction between the living and the dead. Though great big fires, community fires that they called bonfires, were lit in hopes of warding off evil spirits. And the Druid priests, which were a secret society of religious leaders, they wore animal-like costumes to confuse the spirits so that they wouldn't know the difference between the living and the dead. Also, they would gather around making all kinds of noise, and they would dance around the fires, dispelling harm from themselves and their families. As I even describe it, you can just imagine the pandemonium, but then also the energy of the actual celebration and how in a time when you didn't even know if you were going to survive winter to be there the next year, it might just be living in the moment and an all out letting go of everything that you're afraid of and all that you have to celebrate and all that you have unknown in the future and just dancing and chanting and and believing that by doing this, you had incredible power that would honestly increase by doing that in community. The worshipers believed that because 
the two seasons were transitioning on this night, that transition itself created a crack in the boundary between the living and the dead, and that beings in the spirit world, those that had already died or maybe only dwelt there, were allowed to enter the physical world and roam about. The saw went, you know what, I keep forgetting how to say the word, but the Samhain festival was rooted in the date with death that every living person has. And then it was fueled by superstition and spiritual belief that the spiritual world was filled not only with loved ones, but also with shapeshifters and animal-like creatures and other evil spirits that were up to no good. And so out of love for those who had died, the Celtic people would leave out food and drink and open their windows and doors in hopes that their loved ones would find them and spend time with them. And then out of fear of the unknown and the dangers of the coming winter, the people would leave out food and drink to appease any spirits that might do them harm in hopes that they would enjoy their treats and leave them alone. These treats set out for the spirits from the spirit world were expressions of their fear of death and the unexplainable horrors of life. If proper food, shelter, and provision were not provided, then these evil spirits would cast spells, wreak havoc on man and beast, and generally torment the living. And if the proper treat was not awaiting to appease them, then they would respond with an appropriate trick, thus our custom of trick or treating. Others, in order to fool and evade the invading spirits, would themselves dress up and masquerade as evil spirits, witches, ghosts, and ghouls. And again, we can see the origin of our custom of dressing up as fiendish little characters and creatures. The perverted climax of this dark night was animal sacrifice. And in some places, they said that even human sacrifice was committed. And um, all of these sacrifices were to placate the Lord of the dead. They were offered to a God that might demand something precious, something living in the place of dead so that you could ward off death from those that you wanted to keep living. The sacrifices were carried out by the priestly Jeruids who would rip the hearts out of their victims and use the blood for religious rites. They would also use the entrails and other body parts to divine the future and forecast the new year. See, people wanting to discover what's in store. What's in store for me? Will you tell me my fortune? Can you take a look at this and then determine what I should do next? The remains were then burned in bone fires from which we get the popular bonfire. Sawin, Sawin celebrated a broken barrier between the physical world and the spiritual one. Hence, why items such as ghosts have made their way into common Halloween lore. The festival evolved throughout the Middle Ages, all the way until Christianity took hold of the tradition. Now, the history of Christianity's merger with Sawin draws together even more interesting celebrations. Christianity, having first um, been ushered into the world through uh, the time period when the Roman Empire was at its height, in 27 AD, Rome celebrates a harvest yearly in the fall in honor of the goddess of agriculture, or fruit, and her name was Pomona. And therefore, the origin of bobbing for apples may have come from this practice, this part of this celebration, 
The Roman general Agrippa built the Pantheon in 27 AD, and the Pantheon itself was used for worship of the gods. Then in 43 AD, Rome conquered the Celtic lands and incorporated Feralia, a version of Halloween, as part of their tradition. And so rather than just knocking out the Samhain um, festival, the Roman conquerors um, added it to their celebration with their god as a part of beginning to take, um, uh, uh, you know, land living with uh, the people there in the Celtic lands. And then 100 AD, the Roman emperor Hadrian rebuilt the Pantheon and dedicated it to Cybele, the goddess of nature. And then here the Romans worshiped their gods in honor and pray to the dead. And so Cybele took the place, I guess, of Pomona because she was the goddess of all of nature, not just agriculture. Then in 609 AD, Pope Boniface IV dedicated the Pantheon in Rome in a celebration which Gregory III later expands to be All Saints Day and, as a part of that, All Hallow Even, which is the eve before All Saints Day. And he rededicated the, the Pantheon and the worship there to the Virgin Mary. It was a transition from Sabeel, the goddess of nature, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then they moved the celebration off of October 31st and November 1 and put it into the middle of May. And it was held at the Pantheon and it was restructured to be for the Virgin Mary. So you see Christianity merging with what the secular culture is already doing and just um, repurposing it to redirect the um, object of worship. Then from 400 to 100 AD, the Dark Ages see a rise in witchcraft and many of our modern Halloween traditions. One of the most important aspects of witchcraft was the celebrations that they held throughout the year called the Witches' Sabbaths. The most important of those was known as the High Sabbath or the Black Sabbath, and it occurred on October the 31st. It was generally a night of feasting and revelry. It was that feast that gave us many of the common paraphernalia of our Halloween, like witches on broomsticks, black cats, death skulls, and pumpkins. So much of our Halloween folklore today stems directly from this high witches' Sabbath that was celebrated in Europe during the Dark Ages. Uh, we're going to talk more about witches in the next episode of this podcast because we're going to discuss the rise of witchcraft in America today and this unprecedented rise of the practice of witchcraft and what the appeal of that is and, and what witchcraft really is because it's not um, what we think of when we look at pictures that depict witches, but we're not going to get into that right now. We're going to talk about that more in the next episode. So in the 1800s, Christians changed All Saints Day to incorporate October 31 through November 1, um, perhaps in an effort to convert the pagan holiday. They, they, so they took All Saints Day back off of the middle of May and put it right back on um, November 1, calling November 1 All Saints Day, and then just combining it with the celebrations that were already being had that were kind of that celebration of the end of the summer and the beginning of the winter. 
And 1000 AD, November 2, also gets incorporated into the All Saints Day celebration. And that day's known as All Souls Day. And so Christians then, to celebrate All Souls Day, would dress up in angel, devil, and saint costumes. So again, you're seeing the transitioning or the repurposing of a holiday and the traditions connected to that holiday that have been going on for thousands of years. And then just... um. Um, inserting Christianity and Christian thought and Christian story and Christian practice into it. In 1556, All Hallow Tide, a three-day celebration that started on October 31 and went to November 2, involved Christians dressing in all black to mourn the dead and then go door to door asking for food for the dead. The origin, this um, particular website said, of trick-or-treating started here. And by the way, as you're listening to my podcast, I obviously didn't just know this innately in my head. I did all of my research online. And the way I did it is I looked, I Googled, I didn't Google anything. And so I Googled and then I looked up um, various origins of traditions and the origin of Halloween. And then I compared sites and those things that appeared on more than one site and then were on reputable places like National Geographic uh, I would, that's what I gained my information from for this presentation, for this conversation that I'm having with you here. So now we're up to the 1600s. And when our Puritan ancestors came to America, they were far too biblically oriented to allow such occult practices or any kind of celebration that connected with occult practices. They knew that all forms of witchcraft were strictly forbidden by God as an abomination. And so the Puritans banned Halloween, claiming it as a Catholic holiday. The Catholics continued to celebrate their tradition for the next 200 years. They carved turnips, the carved turnips that were used in the Samhain celebrations, those were used as lanterns to help ward off evil spirits. They transitioned from turnips to pumpkins, and participants would ask for treats instead of food in their door-to-door inquiries. So this idea of going from door-to-door to invite treats to um, share with the dead spirits that might be walking around, was um, it stuck with the holiday. Then in the 1800s, due to the potato famine in Ireland, many Irish Catholics flee to America, and they brought their Halloween traditions with them. As is the case with most holidays in America now, various traditions have evolved since then. With them came many of their ancient pagan observances and practices, including Samhain, the Festival of the Dead, or Halloween. This pagan practice took firm root in American soil and has been widely accepted cultural tradition ever since. So there you have the history of the Halloween and how it transitioned and made its way to America today. Now I want to share with you a couple of the Halloween traditions and the origins of them. And in that you'll hear how the celebration of Halloween just continues to transition. And you're going to be surprised at how quickly some, um, how in most recent history, some of these transitions have been made. So back to bobbing for apples. We mentioned these before. The game of bobbing for apples has been a staple at Halloween parties for many years but its origins are more rooted in love and romance. 
The game traces back to a courting ritual that was part of a Roman festival honoring Pomona, the goddess of agriculture and abundance. I've already told you about that. While multiple versions existed, the gist was that young men and women would be able to predict their future relationships based on the game. When the Romans conquered the British Isles in 43 AD, the Pomona Festival blended with the similarly timed Samhain, a precursor to Halloween. And so I'm not sure exactly how this worked. Perhaps, you know, you might have gotten a bad apple or a good apple, depending on your bobbing skills. But somehow, whatever apple you you got somehow determined who you married. I also don't know what the divorce rate might have been back then. So I don't know if bobbing for apples was a good way or not a good way to choose one's spouse. Bats, you know, bats are associated with Halloween. And it says here, bats were likely present at the earliest proto-Halloween celebrations, not just symbolically, but literally. As part of Samhain, the Celts lit those large bonfires, which attracted insects, which in turn attracted bats. Soon, spotting bats became connected with the festival. And then medieval folklore expanded upon the eeriness of bats with a number of superstitions built around the belief that bats were harbingers of death. Let me remind you of how prevalent death was in their world at that time. And so you, you understand that much of what's happening is people trying to process grief, trying to make sense of, of death, and um, just living with the unknown and with the fear of the unknown. And anyway, have you ever seen a bat up close and personal? It is a little bit creepy looking. So I can understand how they kind of, it was not that great big of a leap to look at bats and say, oh, they're harbingers of death. Okay, so the next tradition is the devouring of candy. The act of going door to door for handouts has long been a part of Halloween revelries. But until the mid 20th century, the treats children received were not necessarily candy. They got things like fruit, nuts, coins, and toys. Trick-or-treating rose in popularity in the 1950s, and it inspired candy companies to market small, individually wrapped candies. People began to favor the confections out of convenience, but candy did not dominate at the exclusion of all other treats until the 1970s when parents started fearing anything unwrapped. Now, friends, I remember the 1970s because that's when I was out trick-or-treating. And I remember bringing all of my candy and anything else that people gave me back from my trick-or-treating and plopping it out on the floor. And if it was an apple or if it was, um, uh, gosh, I can't even think what else it might would be besides an, an apple or uh, a plum, you know, something like that, then I often would have to throw that away because my mama was too concerned that that could be tainted. And so you would really stick to mostly the wrapped candy is what you wanted and what you looked for. Also, I wanted to say that the traditional Halloween colors of black and orange also traces back to the Celtic festival of Samhain. And for the Celts, the black represented the death of summer, while the orange symbolized the autumn harvest season. I also remember the reason I brought that up, the colors, because when I went trick-or-treating, there was a very popular peanut butter flavored taffy that was wrapped in either a black or an orange wrapper. And many of us, we get that in our trick-or-treat bags. And I do remember one year, my mama didn't even let us have those because there was rumor on the streets that people could be injecting poison even into that black and orange candy, the, uh, the ones that are easily wrapped and unwrapped where you couldn't tell the difference. 
All right, the origin of witches on broomsticks. So why are witches a common costume on Halloween? In the Middle Ages, women labeled as witches, which came from the Anglo-Saxon word wit, wick, or wise one, these women practiced divination. Such a woman would curl up near a fireplace and go into a trance-like state by chanting, meditating, or using hallucinogenic herbs. So superstitious people believe that these women flew out of their chimneys on broomsticks and terrorized the countryside with their magical deeds. Now, wasn't it convenient to have somebody to blame for anything that didn't happen the way you wanted it to or for mischief that went on? I wonder how many witches were falsely accused of things that they had absolutely nothing to do with. But also these women, and in this super, super, superstitious period of time, not only learned about the medicinal qualities of the, um, as they would forage in the forest of the plants and the herbs and the things, the berries, the things that they would collect, and the practice of how these the chemical components work together to treat various illnesses. So they, they were kind of magical in understanding this kind of thing that they were learning, but they also invited spiritual practices into that, which perhaps um, inundated some of their um, chemical magic with supernatural magic. We're going to talk more about this and, and the connotation of what it is like today in next time's podcast. Um, but to wrap up this lesson on the origins of Halloween, as followers of Jesus, just like I said at the beginning, we've been given two great gifts to help guide our paths. One is the Bible. The other is the spirit of the living God living in us to prompt us, to urge us, to encourage us, to speak to us. So let's talk about God's word, the Bible. The Bible might not come right out and say, don't participate in any community activities on Halloween. And that's because it's a book written to span the ages. Halloween didn't even exist when the Bible was being written. But the Bible does tell us to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but to expose them, Ephesians 5.11. The Bible also says, give no opportunity to the devil, Ephesians 4.27. The Bible says, abstain from every form of evil, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. In Romans 12.2, we read, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then Galatians 5.21, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12, when you enter the land the Lord is giving you, this is what is being written to the children of Israel right before they're going into the promised land. Scripture says, Do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults dead, the dead, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. 
The Bible very specifically speaks to these origins of Halloween and the practices of darkness, the the activities that go on in the in the um, worship practices of the spiritual um, places that are at, not God. And God is rebuking and saying, stay away from these things. According to the Bible, we're to abstain from much of what Halloween originally celebrated. And we're to steer clear of participating in any deeds of darkness, such as idolatry, witchcraft, sorcery, spells, or consulting the dead. And many of these things and the practice that's more like the original worship at Halloween still go on today. So the question is, can we redeem Halloween as a time to be intentional in our witness? Can our children and grandchildren participate in trick-or-treating and enjoy the biggest neighborhood party of the year? Well, the Bible speaks to this too. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, Go into the, all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And then in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then Hebrews thirteen sixteen, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And John fifteen sixteen, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Since the Bible speaks so um, so specifically about what we should not participate in, but then also so specifically about how we ought to interact with our world today, then we might consider how we could turn Halloween into a great evangelistic outreach project for our families. Here's some ideas. What if you were to circle up and pray for your neighbors before you go out? Just ask God to give you opportunities to share Jesus, the hope of Jesus with them. Another idea would be that you at your house give out the very best candy. I mean, make it something to talk about and share a kid-friendly gospel tract perhaps with it. I have one um, family in our church who turned their garage into some kind of just really multimedia, creative um, walkthrough experience where they use animation and all the fun things and they go to the nth degree and it becomes a a fun little stop on the trick-or-treating journey and they're able to visit with and talk with their neighbors and literally just build great solid relationships that will give them opportunities to speak truth and hope and life into their lives. Another idea might be to prepare treats for the adults like I had talked about our neighborhoods do so that you'll have time to interact with them and have conversations with them. And then another suggestion that I would give would be to follow up Halloween with a harvest gift of some kind and deliver that to your neighbors before Thanksgiving, just as another way to build bridges to your neighbors, get to know your neighbors and live in community with them. 
All of this to say, you are now educated. You now know a little bit about the origins of Halloween and how the traditions that are just fun, um, seemingly harmless activities that we participate in, where they started and what they're rooted in. Now, what you do with that and what, um, what you decide with your family to do is up to you. And I believe that God is very capable of speaking to you both through his word and through the conviction and the leadership and the authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I'll be praying for you, as I know you'll be praying for me, as we walk through this holiday season looking for ways that we can redeem every moment and give to everyone in our path um, an expression of the love of Christ and the hope that we find in Him. Have a happy October. And I look forward to talking with you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prayer Clinic Podcast. If you did and you haven't already, please take a minute to rate our podcast and give us a five-star rating and then also to share it with your friends. There's a whole lot of voices out here in the podcast world and we want to make sure that our messages get to the people who want to hear them. So if you know anyone who's interested in learning more about the origins of Halloween, share this episode with them. Of course, next week, we're going to talk about um, the rise of witchcraft in America, what's causing that and how to respond to it. So you definitely don't want to miss the upcoming episode of the Prayer Clinic podcast either. I also want to remind you that the ministry of the Prayer Clinic is to mobilize the people in our churches to pray. Through the Prayer Clinic ministry, we can do just that. If your ministry at your church is looking for a way to be organized and... um, educated, then we have the resources that you need. And I want to encourage you to check it out at prayerclinic.com online. I'll be glad to answer any questions you have as we are seeking to get prayer clinic, the prayer clinic ministry active in our churches all over the place. Once again, thank you for listening and I look forward to seeing you next time.